Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And good morning. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money and Happy Saturday, as they say in the radio business. My co-host this morning is a fellow by the name of Jeremy Devaney, who works with a company called Onto Mortgage. And surprise, surprise, I think we'll be talking about home mortgages this morning here. So uh, welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for being here. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. All right. So you need to start off by telling people a little bit about yourself so they know that you're smart and qualified here. So Terrific. Go for it. So, senior loan officer at Onto Mortgage. You don't look old enough to be a senior loan officer, but I'll leave that one alone, okay? Been in this business since 2015. I grew up in Marshfield and down on the Cape, moved away for a long time. Whereabouts on the Cape, by the way? Centerville. Already? Centerville, down okay. at Barnstable. Super. And then spent a long time down, down south working in institutional banking. Sounds boring. Very, very uh, interesting. I was covering aerospace defense, so it was really? a wow. more interesting niche. But wow, yeah, okay. it was it was fun. But it, the lifestyle eventually wears on you. And started a family back in 2013, and it was time to move home, get closer to family, and uh, raise a family and make some other life choices. So we changed our, our business model a little bit. And instead of advising institutional clients. We wanted to get really deep with the community. Wow. All righty. Yeah. So, so local radio and local financial advice and local mortgage guys. Your hometown so, mortgage banker. Th- th- there you go. <laughs> okay. So what's going on in the mortgage world these days? A, little, a few things probably, right? So how about a little background here? Sure. So I think everybody knows from the headlines that real estate market, particularly in Massachusetts, has, has been pretty wild. The rates have increased significantly over the last 18 months, and we've seen a change in in the landscape. So inventory is coming to market slower. We had a really slow winter season this winter. A lot of of professionals were curious whether the spring market was going to wake up. Ah, okay. So, or whether buyers had been pushed away from the market because of the interest rates. Yeah. So I think we can have a really interesting conversation about what you're seeing with clients and their cash demands and how they're managing the other assets that we don't necessarily touch every single day. We've been hearing a lot of interesting stories from other financial advisors about people tapping cash that they haven't previously gone to, whether it's emergency funds or revolving credit facilities. They're looking at different ways of making ends meet on a daily basis because of some of this inflation issue, right? Yeah, that, that's for sure. Okay. And, yep. and more recently, we've we've heard unemployment coming back into the conversation, some layoffs in the tech industry, and people getting a little bit more concerned on the employment front and how that's going to impact the home buying process. We're getting close to that R word they keep talking about, right? Recession or something like that? Who knows, right? I, I don't know about <laughs> you. I, 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 I subscribe to sort yeah. of the traditional theory about economics that two quarters back to back with with negative GDP equals a recession. We already had that, but nobody says we're in one, right? Uh, <laughs> if I gave that answer in, cl- in class back in the college days, yeah. I think they would have failed me. But, you know, it, th- these days it's a little bit more squishy what the definition is. Okay. So let's let's talk about some folks. Uh, folks, by the way, this is a call-in talk radio show. And if you, uh, if you have a question about mortgages, this is your special day. Our telephone number here is 781- 
800-837-4900. And as they say, the only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. So we're going to sit here for the next hour and change and uh, talk about a whole bunch of stuff. But, you know, there are people out there that are thinking about buying or are thinking about selling and moving and all kinds of stuff. And so if you have some mortgage-related questions, again, this is your special day, 781-837-4900. So, so... The mortgage businesses slowed down because the real estate businesses slowed down in Massachusetts. Is that basically how this is? That's essentially the gist of it. Rates rates washed out the refinance opportunity for a lot of buyers. We're hearing statistics these days that about 75% of the mortgage market's locked in below 4%. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So when you look at that, it's really hard to motivate somebody to give up that interest rate to move on to their move-up purchase or their downsize purchase. A lot of people are really fixated on the number that they have on their current home rather than structuring their life to meet their future needs. And I, I wonder if there aren't a whole bunch of folks who just look at the percentage and not translate it to dollars to see what that difference is in terms of what the cost of a mortgage would be. Do you find that? I mean, people, in my opinion, whatever the interest rate is, you need to do the math and see what the dollars are involved and then just match them against your budget and see where it goes. But uh, how's that working? I I would firmly agree with you. (laughs) A lot of times when clients come to us, they have a price point in their head. Okay. And so it's interesting to unpack that with clients and understand what's driving that decision. When it comes to me and my family, what matters at the end of the day ultimately is the monthly budget and how we balance that budget. Are you listening here, folks? Yep, go right ahead, yeah. (laughs) Right? So you want to bucket out your savings and retirement and your expenses and then understand what you have for a housing budget and come up with a number independent of what I'm going to give you. Yep. I, I can sit there and have a conversation with you about the statistics and what other advisors would say. A great question for you, Mike. What would you typically say is the right housing ratio for a client? And what percentage of their gross income is really that sweet spot if you if you were guiding somebody? That's pretty easy. We, we do guide folks. And, and from our point of view, it's pretty simple. We, As you probably know, we use some pretty sophisticated financial planning software. And folks, you can't you can't do a mortgage payment without looking at the rest of your life and mm-hmm. figuring out where all those other buckets of expenses have Bingo. to be in savings. And, uh, you know, when when we have folks who are doing that, very often they'll say, how much of a house can I afford? Mm-hmm. afford? And very often we'll say, well, come on back in here and we'll update your financial plan numbers and, uh, you know, bring in us a current bunch of expenses that are in your life and we'll tell you how much money you can afford to, to buy a house. The, one of the things that most folks don't think about, especially the first house or the second house is, well, you probably go go all out to get that first house. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody who's probably ever bought one listening to me today, you probably scrimped, saved, and just right on the absolute edge just to get that house and get into the market and Definitely. have a place to live. Well, you probably made some sacrifices about a few other things in your life, like maybe retirement, okay, mm-hmm. and uh, may, maybe your dining out budget or, or, or maybe your college savings budget sort of a thing. So, you know, one of the things that I was going to uh, drive home here and you just opened the door is basically you know, your house is a part of your life, but you have to make the rest of your life work. And for, for young folks, that's college and that's retirement, even though you're not thinking about it sort of hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. So it's for us, it's easy, but for most folks, I, uh, you know, do you, do you, I mean, do many of the folks that, that you see 
do they kind of have a pretty clear idea what their budget is and what they can afford or not? I it's, mean, it's really a coin toss it, on any given call. Yeah, okay. There, there's folks that get on and they sound very squared away, but they've never sat down and actually penciled out what their budget looks like. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay. then there's folks that, that sound like they're in total disarray, but they really know how much they bring in and where it all has to go. Yeah. And when we peel back the layers with our clients, it's important highlight for them the other expenses in their lives that they might not be taking into account, yeah. right? Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and HUD and VA have ratios that we need to conform to in order to be able to qualify a client. Bunch of jargon there, but what it means yeah. is you only can carry a certain amount of debt in order to qualify for the mortgage. And we think about debt on a monthly basis. What's your minimum monthly cost to service that debt? because we need to make sure that debt stays good, yeah. right? You're not gonna miss payments, you're not gonna walk away from a loan. And that, that matters when you look at all things in life, how levered you are, how much debt you've taken on. So when we look at it, you're, you're straight off the top, gonna spend 25% of your gross income on taxes. Set that aside, forget about it. Next, you're gonna go over to McNamara Financial and you're gonna talk to them about how much you need to put into retirement and savings and your HSA and your, or your 401k. I think I'm in heaven right? listening to you. Okay, yes, keep going. So <laughs> you, you need to tick off the savings bucket, yeah. the tax bucket. You need to go and look at the grocery bill and the gas bill. And then you've got this pile of money left over, hopefully, and that's your housing budget. Because we've heard for a long time from the generation ahead of me, the boomers, that you don't want to be house poor. And we're huge, huge advocates of people not being house poor. Because guess what? That makes really unhappy clients down the road. And it also leads to bad mortgages down the road yeah. and you wind up in situations yeah. like 2008 where people can't afford the mortgage that they have. So so what 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 is your percentage guideline then that you work under in the mortgage world for affordability? What what is that number today? Let, let's back into that for yeah. a second. So we'll start at the highest number. Okay. The highest number is FHA. Okay. FHA is a loan program that's designed to bring into the market a marginal buyer. Okay. And that's not a, a qualifier. That's not, not a statement about the person, right? This yeah. is your financial situation. We're just talking money and math here, basically. Yeah, your, yeah. your, your financial situation is yeah. a little bit more risky. You might yeah. have low credit. You might have a low down payment. You can buy an FHA. You can get an FHA mortgage with three and a half percent down in a 620 credit score, 600 credit score, yeah. 580 credit score. So you, you can bring buyers into the market. They'll allow you go, to go up to a 56% debt to income ratio. Whoa. Right. Whoa. So there's that's a the conservative one. Huh? Whoa. That, no, that's the most, that, the that's most aggressive. One. I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. yeah okay, so yeah. All right. you have a lot of debt. Wow. You've got low credit. Yeah. You've got low, low cash resources to purchase that house. Yep. You're, you're likely going to be looking at a HUD-backed FHA mortgage. And so that's interesting. Okay, keep going. There's all sorts of <laughs> consequences to that program, right? Yep. There's PMI and upfront PMI and but that that's the most aggressive debt to income scenario that you can take on. That's pretty scary actually, but correct. Okay, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Ne right. Next one down is, is 45%. You actually can go over 45% by a hair depending on how much cash you have and other resources for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, what they call conforming loans. Okay. So in Eastern Massachusetts, most of the counties out this way, you're going to find that the maximum conventional loan taps out just over $800,000. Okay. okay. Yeah. So you can buy quite a bit of home, million dollar home, 
and fit into that bucket still of, of con- con- conventional mortgage. Okay. Okay. 20% down, you're still below that 800,000, right? So they say with good credit, you can go up to 45% and you can possibly go over a little bit more. And that's total monthly debt to total gross income. You, you go down a little bit lower. 43% is where most of our jumbo lenders cap out. Okay. And that's where the government set up this bucket called QM, qualified mortgages. Below 43% is called a qualified mortgage. Above 43% is a non-qualified mortgage. All it means is that they fall into buckets that certain government programs will back them. Okay. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac predominantly. Okay. 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 When I sit back and I think about things more globally, how does it impact the borrower? We don't want to see folks really over one-third of their gross monthly income. Yeah, folks, just because the government says you can qualify to buy a mortgage doesn't mean you can afford it, basically. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, one needs to be careful about that stuff. Okay, so so what was that percentage again? 33%, a third. Okay. So take your gross monthly income. You make $120,000 a year, divide it by 12. You're making 10 grand a year. You shouldn't be spending more than, excuse me, 10 grand a month. You shouldn't be spending more than $3,300 a month all all in on your mortgage. So is that your number or your company's number or where does that come from? How does that that comes from experience. Okay, so there you go. And, and if anybody was going to have the correct number in terms of being conservative, it would be the guys in the trenches and, and that do things like this, correct? Yeah, yeah. it really comes from conversations with, yeah. with folks like you, Mike, yeah, and yeah. Alyssa yeah. and Justin and yeah. trying to understand how people that are looking at the portfolio of assets a client has holistically and the expenses holistically. We want to make sure that those are the people that we're turning to for advice. When, when you're working with an advisor that only looks at one slice of your life and doesn't take in all of your goals, you're often going to miss out on some of those other requirements, some of those other expenses, right? Like a commercial for certified financial planners, Jeremy. Okay. (laughs) Started, started out, started out in the financial advisory business a long time ago. Not what I do day to day, but I I rely on you guys in in having a good team around you and getting solid advice before you go into this process is really important because my team's going to guide you through some of these questions and hold your hand. If you're not working with somebody like my team, the Devaney team at Onto Mortgage, you're going to wind up having to figure out some of this stuff on your own. And if you don't have a financial advisor like Mike and his team, you could be out there trying to Google around and figure this stuff out. And both of us know there, there's a lot of myth out there on the internet. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, folks, there's there's a couple of macroeconomic points here, as I like to say once in a while. And I, I think the first one is that just because the government or some entity says you can qualify doesn't mean that you should mm-hmm. sort of a thing. And that's, you know, the, 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 you know the, 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 those guidelines are actually designed to protect the entities that are lending you the money. Correct. They're, they're not designed to protect you. They're designed to protect their finances because they're lending you money, folks. Get, get that in your head, okay? And so you don't you don't blindly go over those numbers and say, I'm okay. So macroeconomic point is that, that you, number one, is that don't listen to what somebody else can tell you about whether you can afford a home. You mm-hmm. have to do your own math under that situation. Ma- macroeconomic point number two is that is the dreaded B word, budget, that you've mentioned a mm-hmm. couple of times. We, you know, we, we work with a bunch of pretty motivated people in our business. And when we sit down 
for the first time or even the second or third time to either start or update a, a financial plan in place, okay, on average, our motivated clients miss on their expenses by anywhere between 5 and 15%. <laughs> and they're thinking about it and trying to figure out where all the money goes sort of a thing. So I my, believe it. So it, it is absolutely, and sometimes the numbers are larger than that and the dollars absolutely floor people. So I, I think my point is that when you're getting around to buying a home, you better know what your expenses are. And that takes a lot of work. I mean, ho- hopefully, the younger generation, are hopefully tracking their expenses clinically and they hope have something equivalent to a Quicken or a QuickBooks uh, software so you can see where those things go. But, you know, most folks don't have much of a clue about what their expenses are. And if you're going to go out and make a major investment in in your life, you you might want to take some time to do that and sit down with that. You you just have to be very careful. The, The you know, I think that that second point really applies to younger folks who are trying to get into their first home. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they, they don't care about that. And maybe maybe it's the second home for some folks when it comes to a move up because you need a larger, yeah. you know, a couple of more bedrooms. But, you know, the, the further away from retirement you are, the less you worry about how much you have to save for retirement. Sure. Okay. And folks, y- y- you should know that. But that's, that's very difficult. So... That, that second point about the budget, Mike, is yeah. so important. And, and you know, let's let's be real for a second. The market's been pretty wild in real estate recently, yep. right? Yep. And, and our family, let, let's talk about how our professional deals with budget, right? We we talk about budget all day long. When we look back at my family's experience through COVID and after COVID in this real estate market, had great success and saw our business booming and the mortgage market was rip roaring through 21 and in in 20. And then you'd come to 2022 and the market kind of locks up. I think a lot of families like ours experienced income creep during COVID. Yeah. At the bottom end of the market, there was a lot of pain, right? Hourly employees were really hurt. But those that were W-2 salary and could remote work, largely were unimpacted. And they saved a lot of money that they couldn't spend going out along the way, by the way. (laughs) Totally. But then after COVID, as this market's continued to shift, a lot of people didn't go back and look at the budget and what changed and how their spending habits changed, right? And so one thing my wife and I have been really trying to tackle is as this market tightens up and we start to think about our our personal budgets, what can we do on the expense front to really drive cash flow in our household yep. so we still can tick those boxes on the other goals. Yep. Yep. Right. And so you got to review this stuff consistently. You can't let it get too far away from you. And 100% agree with Mike. If you're a young person and you're trying to get into your first home, sit down, spend, spend a couple of nights going through the bank account and the credit cards, understand where your money goes on a monthly basis. And, and, and their expenses are probably going to be different even if they track them perfectly stepping into a new home. But you got, you got to start someplace. You know, the, we're, we're coming up on a break here in a minute or two or three, and I, I think the, the biggest point I'd, I'd like to emphasize here is that, that y- y- you know, you need to know what kind of house you can afford in your world with your budget and your financial circumstances. And and most folks in general, and probably a higher proportion of younger folks, don't think about that as much as maybe they should. You know, if you, if and there's let's face it, there's a whole bunch of folks that don't have financial advisors that could help them that, whether they're accountants or, or whoever. And, and that, you know, 
folks, think about this. If, if you're just getting started in the house and you're married and you're thinking about kids you know, and over time, you know, you, the, the two things that you probably should think about that you haven't much experienced yet is you got to save some money for your retirement. And if you're planning on having kids, you got to start putting some money away for college. <laughs> so let's see, you buy the first house, you stretched to the yin-yang because you just made it and you know, your contributions to your 401k are $50 a month mm-hmm. and you don't have a college mm-hmm. savings. Well, three or four or five years later, I hope your income grew okay to be able to settle those circumstances, but you, you've got a situation where you, you're on the edge to begin with and you made some trade-offs. Well, maybe you shouldn't have afforded that home to begin with. And I th- it sounds like I'm a rainy day parade here sort of a thing, but more people buy more home than they maybe should, mm-hmm. even if they can afford it. You, you want to react to that comment or what? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a tricky balance, especially when we get into a market like this spring with yeah. very limited inventory. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of cash buyers in the market. Yep. Sometimes it's second generation cash buyers. And what I mean by that is mom and dad have a lot of money and they're backing a young <laughs> buyer and they say, hey, we'll give you the cash, figure out how to refinance yeah. it later, right? Okay. Yep. So the market's extremely competitive in what happens in that environment, if you haven't given yourself an anchor point to come back to, then you're going to wind up finding that you're shopping away from your budget. So our team likes to establish upfront, what is your ideal monthly payment? How does this feel to you? Can you facilitate it? We don't want you getting in trouble. We don't want you to have pain down the road. Let's make sure you're set up so you can, you can really hit that goal. Yeah, and very quickly, we're just about at break time. But it, when, when you do that, folks, you know, if you miss out and don't get a house and it takes three or four more years, well, if your income grows faster than house prices, maybe you're in better shape two or three or four years from now. Certainly, certainly. Folks, we'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. And today we're talking mortgages and buying homes and live budgets and all kinds of fun stuff like that. My guest today is his name is Jeremy Jeremy Devaney, and he's a mortgage specialist with Onto Mortgage. And again, thanks for being here this morning. Really having fun, Mike. Two hours is a long time to do a solo radio show. I want <laughs> you to know about that. So folks, uh, if you just tuned in, first of all, this is a call-in talk radio show. Our telephone number is 781-837-4900. And if you have any sort of a mortgage-related question, we'll just give us a call and we'll try to speak English and help you out there. Okay, I'm going to, if you just tuned in, by the way, also, I'm going to summarize a couple of what I think are things that we chatted about in the first half hour that are pretty important. And the the first comment I'll make, and I'll ask Jeremy to do his summary of the last 30 minutes as well, but first comment I'll make is that just because some lending entity says that you are qualified to buy a mortgage, to, to do a mortgage, and buy a home, that doesn't mean you really are, okay? Don't take somebody else's word about how much you can afford. You might want to do your own homework on that. And the second thing I'll say is that when you buy a home... 
Okay, there are a whole bunch of things in your life you have to balance against how much you pay for a home. One of those might be retiring and living happily ever after. Another one of those might be getting your kids through college and trying to save in advance of that before you have to go borrow a slug of money around retirement age and worry about that debt down the line. So if you have a, a financial advisor of some sort that you work with, you can probably get a pretty good handle on that budget and be very careful about that. And once you do, Presto, you probably have a pretty good idea what you're going to buy for a house. And if you don't like the answer, that's the way it is, folks. You just do math around here. So so be careful, you know, and try not to stretch. And if you don't have or, or work with a financial advisor, here's a couple, a, a real simple guideline. Okay, if we're talking about a married couple, no kids just yet doing a first house, Okay, at the very least, you put 10% of your money each into your 401ks at work and call that an expense every month, whether you like it or not. And if you really want to be uh, really want to be conscientious because you're thinking about having a kid or two, you might even want to start slugging away 100 bucks or a couple hundred bucks a month into a 529 college savings plan. That's an expense even though you don't have the kids yet. By the way, if you start that expense now, you might be pleasantly surprised in eight years, 18 years, how much that money is. But anyway, okay, plan on the very minimum putting 10% of your retirement, your income away in retirement, each of you, as an expense. And by the way, don't punt on college. I could, we could have a whole scary show about people borrowing money for college and not being able to retire. Because that would be a good conversation. Oh, no, it, it's actually really depressing. But we do that show once in a while, okay? There are a number of retirements in the world that have been delayed significantly and dreams of retirement smashed as a result of taking on some college debts that... Either they shouldn't have because you couldn't afford the school anyway, or maybe you didn't save too much for it. But anyway, that's a long-winded summary. Jeremy, you want, any comments on the first half hour before we skip along? Sure, here? Mike. I think yeah. you, you nailed the uh, summary. I'd give people a couple of data points just to walk away with. If you're trying to budget for your house, think about things on a monthly basis. Can you service the debt? Okay. The number that we often find financial advisors telling their clients is that that real comfort point is below one third of your gross monthly income spent on housing. Once you get above that, you're gonna to start to feel the crimp, right? You've got the 10% Mike just told you for, for retirement that he wants on there. So if you're at 33% of your gross on housing, you add Mike's 10%, you're at 43%, you add taxes. 25%. 25%, so you're right? After 68, 68 so far. Yeah. You're living on 32%. <laughs> in, in this environment, with inflation doing what it's been doing, yep. it, it, it gets a little tricky, right? Yep. So if you go all the way up to the government limits, Mike's point, don't, don't necessarily listen to what the government allows you to do. Use your spidey, your, your common sense, right? But if you go all the way up to that 45% cap that the government would allow you to do, you, you could be in real trouble meeting your monthly monthly needs. Yeah, and by the way, if you it, it, the, the other last thing before we skip along here is that don't feel like you absolutely positively have to get that house, okay? That especially first timers, because you're going to miss out in the real estate market for, for the rest of your life. Maybe, maybe not. You know, if you stretch for that house, paid more than you should have because the market was high. Let's see, the market goes down three or four years from now. You have to job relocate. I have a news flash mm. for you, folks. You got yourself a 
tassel of trouble as a result of that. So if you're especially a first-time home buyer, and I have a couple of relatives in that category, young relatives, you really have to be careful. You know, if you miss the house and you just can't get a house during a really crazy market, well, guess what? Save your money, and maybe in two or three or four years, after saving some money and your income getting larger, maybe you could afford more house mm-hmm. than you could have, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what happens and things. So don't don't be silly, stupid, crazy about getting into a home, okay, at all costs, because <clears throat> there may be some costs you didn't plan on here. Okay. So, you know, the great, great spot to turn the page a little bit from affordability to, to thinking about really how to get to the right place mentally before you buy a house. I love it. Right? Okay. You and I tend to be planners. And we like to have a clear picture of how that process is going to go and what tools we have at our disposal to make this process easier, more powerful, more competitive. And so when you are approaching the home purchase process, you don't just jump in on one weekend and go out and shop a house because it popped on the internet and then call a mortgage guy on a sun- <laughs> excuse me, on a Sunday afternoon saying you want to put in an offer. You should spend some time beforehand, <laughs> budget it out, understand what you can afford before you even go and start looking at houses. You don't walk into the grocery store without knowing how much money you have to spend, right? If if you did the same thing in real estate, you're going to wind up way over your skis yeah, and yeah. you're going to want something and not understand your capacity to purchase it. And, and then you get tangled up in emotions. If you take some time and step back, talk to a mortgage advisor, talk to a financial advisor, understand your capacity, put a pre-approval in place, right? Doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. My team can get you pre-approved 24, 48 hours, depending on how complicated it is the situation. So, you know, it doesn't take much effort to be prepared and go out there and really understand what your capacity is to buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. That's to reinforce Jeremy's comments. Um, Buying a home, whether it's your first or your seventh, is a really emotional experience, okay? Mm. I, I personally bought the last three homes I bought at about 30 seconds after walking in. But I, you knew. But, you I, knew. but I, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. So, so if, you're not, if you walk in to a place that blows you away, but you didn't do your homework, you're in even more trouble <laughs> than, yep. than doing your homework in advance sort of a thing. So, yeah, d- f- folks, y- y- don't believe the, the lender or even the mortgage advisor completely. Do your own math and feel real comfortable that it all adds up. You know, it's hard to argue math, folks. And people mm-hmm. can have opinions about this, that, and the other thing, but you got so much money, you got so many expenses, what's left is what you can afford to pay a home. That, that isn't magic, folks. It's just math. Yeah. Mike, I'm interested to come back to this idea. You mentioned it earlier, house prices. Yeah. And where we are in the cycle and, and what might be going on. Let me get my notebook. If you're going to predict the future here, I'm in good my, shape. <laughs> my crystal ball is awfully foggy, but, it, you know, Alyssa and I spend a lot of time talking about economic development, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and particularly housing policy in Massachusetts and economic development policy in Massachusetts. Massachusetts tends to be an odd odd duck nationally for real estate. When you look at certain areas of New England, we've built out over centuries our housing infrastructure, and it makes it really, really challenging to add new housing stuff. You're heavily concentrated in the small areas, basically. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. you know, remove all the jargon for a second. It's yeah. hard to build new houses in Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. New condos, new houses. Yep. There's just no land for it. Yep. And so we have people that 
are, are very strongly in favor of conservation and, and I, I love keeping the feeling of our communities very similar to what we have today or historically, right? You don't want to see any of that change because it changes the feel of communities. But at the same time, the state has needs to house its citizens. And we're seeing some of this come to a head through housing policy yeah. in Massachusetts. Yep. Uh, you know, we had Governor Baker put into place what, what we commonly call policy 3A or, or the MBTA serve communities policy where they're trying to drive down multifamily housing to the entirety of the Boston metro region. And it's reaching all the way out to the, the far suburbs of Marshfield and Plymouth and Boren, and it's touching some of these communities. You got opposing sources. You want to save more land and not make it available, mm-hmm. but you want to build more houses for people and try to make them affordable. We, yeah, that's It's a, such a hard idea. I, I get calls yeah, all the time yeah. from Marshfield police officers yeah. or firefighters or yeah. kids, kids of professionals in town that call me. And, and they're in their early days of saving, just graduated college maybe, yep. and they can't afford to move back to Marshfield. Yeah. And yep. the complaint is there's not enough housing. Yep. You go to town meeting and you try to bring a housing project to town, no. God, God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> and, they're, and every town's different, but in some towns it's, it's almost extreme in terms of where the prices and the locations are. It, so, it, really, yeah. it really is. Yeah. And so I think Massachusetts, in, to drive the point home, Massachusetts is different than in the national story. In Massachusetts, we've seen the seasonal pullback in pricing, but we've seen demand continue to be extremely yeah. strong because we've got really strong demographics yeah. in our state. Yeah, so that's yeah that that over overrules basically that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I understand. Yeah, so so they're going north sooner or later anyway. Basically, yeah. ba- basically. Yeah. So you know you do have to keep a bit of a, a, an eye on the balance between rent versus buy. It's not not such a clear-cut delay decision yeah. because what we're seeing is how to call the client yesterday. They're a renter in a professionally managed rental community up, up in 128 area of Boston. They've seen their rent go up 10% each year for the last three years. Okay, yeah. So landlords are trying to make up for some of their costs that have been hit by inflation, their labor costs, their maintenance costs, and they're trying to catch up. Landlords are also trying to catch up because a lot of landlords didn't collect rent during COVID. So they've got backed rent, right? At the same time, landlords are also buying homes at higher prices now. So they need higher rents in order to make those investments pay off. So there's a whole bunch of factors that are driving rental market. We're hearing stories from the city that housing policy might shift in the metro area, downtown in the downtown Boston corridor, that you might get commercial properties changing to be residential. It's a very, very tricky, tricky yeah. thing to convert an office yep. to residence. You've got light requirements and egress requirements for a, f- a, a few regulations yeah. and laws in place there. Yep. So uh, it, yep. it makes it really tricky to, to set up a bedroom that has natural light in it or, or to make sure that you have the proper number of egress from a bedroom when, when you don't have window access to every single unit. Office floor plans tend to be really, really deep, right? And so you don't you, you might have an office space that's all the way in by your elevator core that just doesn't have any natural light. And how do you actually change that floor plan? Mighty slowly over time, I guess is yeah. the answer, right? Okay, so 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 what you're saying is that in Massachusetts, house prices may just stay flat or go oh. down a little bit. That, that not not 
crash and boom like a number of other areas so so and then they start going north from there so they haven't gone down much is that correct they've gone down seasonally a little bit a little but not much not much compared to the rest of the country basically if we look at where we were at the peak late summer last year we've we've come down maybe two percent from the peak yeah but we've seen the bottom. Are they calling that a crash in the real estate periodicals down 2%? I'm just I, I, kidding. I, I, think they, I think they want to pat themselves on the back, Mike. Right? Yeah. You know, they, they predicted a crash. The, yeah. the market pulled back seasonally. Yeah. And we're okay. seeing the seasonal rebound. Yeah. But besides giving all of us real estate professional nightmare yeah. over the holiday season, <laughs> it, it, in sitting in the back of our heads, living rent free, yeah. you know, the talking heads have yet to be proven right on this. Yeah. So, th- so the bottom line for buyers is prices may go down a tad, but not much, and they're going higher so- probably sooner than later. Basically. Setting aside yeah. black, black yeah. swan events. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's very different than 2008. Yeah, and, and there aren't a lot of pockets of value in Massachusetts then, just based on the geography in general. Sure. Yeah. In, in When we talk about the 2008, right, history, his, history rhymes, it doesn't repeat. There's similarities, but there's also great differences. Housing stock wasn't built out quite as expansively as it was during the 2008 boom, where, okay. where you were pushing way okay. out into the suburbs, especially in, in major East Coast metro markets, right? I was living in D.C. at the time, Washington, D.C. at the time of 2008 crash. And we saw a lot of what we called shadow inventory back then. I, I was working in a different area of finance and, and watching this. My wife was working in commercial real estate, so we monitored it pretty closely. But there was a big inventory of apartment rentals that had come to market, and it was actually condo buildings that were built out. They were intended for sale, but the owners flipped them to rental as the purchase market slowed down. Okay, wow. But the fear was that once that that shifted back to being a purchase market, that all of these owners were going to liquidate all of their rentals and basically suppress the prices. So it was going to be a longer rebound, and there was this shadow inventory that was going to wash out. So how's that look for, get down to the, the, the trenches here, how's that look for first or second time home buyers in Massachusetts? The, 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 the first one or the move up because I got to need a bedroom or two? What, what are they facing in reality? And, Great and, question. And, and how long do they think about renting before they get nervous versus buying? Okay. Hardest thing we're seeing in Massachusetts right now is that we've got two buyers fighting for the same house. The two buyers are your, your downsizer yep. and, and your first time home buyer. Ooh, and the downsizer probably has more money, I'm going to guess. Downsizer right? has more money. Ooh, okay. So, That's interesting. So okay. a lot yeah. of the first-timers are being squeezed out. Yeah. If you want okay. to talk hyper-local, right? Yeah, yeah. well, the people listening to this were hyper-local at Marshfield and the Merrimack Valley, so for sure. You, you talk hyper-local and you start looking at some of the beach areas of Marshfield and situate yeah. where there's smaller beach homes that, yeah. that traditionally have been seasonal homes, perhaps, and they tend to be lower price point especially if it's not beachfront, but beach adjacent, it tends to be lower price point than some of, some of the other homes in town. So if I think about Marshfield in particular, I'm talking about areas down in Brant Rock. I'm talking about areas over by, by Tower Ave, yeah. down by Wrexham, back away from the beach, but you're still beach, beach adjacent. Yeah. Those homes tended so to be smaller. Smaller and probably more of them older and their mm-hmm. prices are going bonkers, basically. They right? didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. They might not have had, yep. you know, full seasonal, insul- four season insulation. Yep. So there's some, some improvements that need to be made to those places. But that traditionally, those types of homes are first time home buyer homes. 
we're now seeing people from the north side of Marshfield or in larger homes over by the They want to get down near the beach, right? They want to get down near the beach. Yeah, okay. And, and they want a, a smaller footprint, a single-level ranch, so that they don't have to do stairs anymore. And I have some money. And you got plenty of money. Wow, that's so, interesting. You know, those those downsizers, we have a product called a bridge loan, Mike. It's a loan that you can take out on your existing home to free up the equity you have tied up. And you can use that as your down payment money on the next home. Once you sell your, your departing residence, the house that, that you're moving out of, that loan gets extinguished and paid off. And essentially, it has allowed you to make your down payment before you actually sold your home. So there's ways for, for those downsizers to access that capital. That's a good place to hop over there. So let's talk about that for a moment. So, you know, let's talk about the downsizers here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so if you're going to downsize your home, okay, you know, solid advice would be, well, sell that first and buy second. But that doesn't get... <laughs> That doesn't, doesn't work get in this environment. Not real world, basically, sort of a thing. And so I probably have this discussion a dozen times a year. <laughs> so, you know, if you happen to be uh, light, well, first of all, people should have emergency reserves. But beyond your emergency reserves, if all your money's in a couple of retirement plans, and if you're thinking about downsizing, you've got a little bit of a problem there because you probably don't have enough money to come up with a down payment, even if you were going to buy before you sold, sort of a thing. So, you know, our, our most common suggestion is, well, go put a home equity line on your house for as much as you mm-hmm. can possibly get, and at least you can write a check for a down payment and go from there. But this is a second variation of that, and I'd like you to take a little bit more time about that. So, folks, think about this. If you've got a, oh, a $600,000 home, okay, and all your money's in retirement plans, and you don't want to touch your emergency reserves, but you're ready to downsize, well, hmm, how's that all going to work? Well, either you're going to have to sell your house first and see what happens and rent someplace or move in with the kids, or you got to figure out some way to get yourself a a down payment or Mm -hmm. maybe purchase the whole thing. So a, a home equity line of credit is at least a down payment money mm-hmm. sort of a thing. On a $600,000 home, if you get lucky, you might get half of that in, a, in an equity line. So mm-hmm. maybe you get a $300,000 credit line. Well, okay, folks, if you had a, if you needed a $100,000 down payment or if you wanted to put down two hundred dollars to make what, a mortgage or however that mm-hmm. works, a home equity line of credit, you can borrow the money and do that but you still own two homes at the same time, mm-hmm. and there's some risk there. Would you go over that bridge loan one more time for folks who are listening? I mean, at the very least, get a home equity line if you're short on emergency, short on cash, but there's maybe a cleaner way to do that. Sure, okay. so some of this has to do with how much of a timeline, how much lead time you have going into this decision. Yep. If, if you're further than six months out, a home equity line is perfectly a reasonable resource. Yep. Yep. If you read the fine print of most home equity lines, traditional home equity lines, they they have termination costs if you close it out in the first six months. They won't lend against a home that's been recently listed. Yep. They essentially know you're going to sell it. Yep. yep. So, so you got to do it way in advance. As way a, in advance. It's not after you put the for sale sign up in the front yard, folks. You're going to do this a long time in advance to make mm-hmm. that. Thank you. Thank you. So if you're closer to your transaction, there's a product out there that allows you to access that equity and, and use that that value in your current home to purchase your next home do, without having to yeah. sell it. And do that's an called ex- a bridge loan. Yeah, do an example. It's a six hundred thousand dollar home, home, and they're fortunate enough not to have a mortgage on it mm-hmm. when they're downsizing. We'll get to that later, but so go sure. for it. So how so would that work? Six six hundred thousand dollar home. Say say you've you've got a two hundred thousand dollar balance left on on your present loan. Yep will allow you to borrow up to 75, some cases 80% 
of the total home value. You get an appraisal that tells us what it's worth. So six hundred thousand. You're going to be able to borrow up to four hundred eighty thousand dollars total. So there's two hundred eighty thousand dollars of equity you can get access to. Cool thing about a bridge loan is most of these products only consider the debt associated with your new home. They assume that the departing residence is going to be sold. So the house that okay. we have the debt on okay. does not factor into our analysis of your carry costs. Usually there's stipulations around this when you're doing a bridge loan. Property has to be sold within certain time periods. Pro- property has to be listed for sale presently. Depends on what loan program we're going through, but you're going to want to take a real close walk through all those hurdles with an advisor, depending on your situation. But it's a really neat product because sometimes if you have a home equity line in place, that longer term lead time, the traditional home equity line, you can't carry two houses. You have your current house. Yep. Now you have your home equity line on it, right? You've got that $200,000 mortgage. And no expenses money. went away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you you, you, you want to take out two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 on a home equity line that's going to cost you quite a bit of money yep. monthly, yep. right? And so, you know, at, at 7 seven or 8% interest only, it's still going to cost you, call it $625 a month interest only on, on 100000 So 300000 cost you another $1,800. That's interesting. Let, let's take a few more. I'm going <clears> to <throat> weigh in with some very interesting opinions about downsizers. So pay attention, folks, as far as I'm concerned. So the, the word downsizing doesn't have the meaning that a number <laughs> a number of... Certainly not. I, I'm going to need some specifics after I go over the big picture here, but maybe a story or two you can tell us about that. But so, so folks, here's the deal. Uh, I've been in... I'm a certified financial planner. I've been in this business for 40 years and change. And I ha- I've met and known and worked with many, many, many folks over the years. And lots of them were looking for their last home that they're going to downsize. And an extremely small percentage of those folks actually bought a smaller, less expensive home. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, if you're going to downsize in retirement, here's the deal. You're going to buy an equally expensive, nicer house than the one that you sold because you wanted to treat yourself to that. Okay, so, so fo- folks, you, if, you downs- if you think you're downsizing, you need to call me or, or maybe Jeremy and explain how that's going to work because it ain't going to work. If you have to take money off the table in your, in your retirement home, you're, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But let me, let me take a pause here. We have a, we have a caller who might be related to me in some way, shape, or form. Sharon McNamara from Boston Connect. How the heck are you this morning? I'm doing great. Obviously, I am very much enjoying this topic. <laughs> How are you doing, Sharon? <laughs> Good. How are you? Excellent. I'm so glad that you brought up that bridge loan aspect of things because I'd love to actually talk to you separately about that and maybe have you on my show as well to talk about that because... It's going to cost you, you Sharon, know. if you do that. No worries. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. But it is, I mean, he's, you know, it's really tough right now because of having low inventory. One of the things I'm seeing on my end, and I am on next week with Alyssa, by the way, too, on your show. And it's, you know, not being able to be in a good position to even make an offer. So having this bridge loan puts people in a better position. So that's why we're sort of stuck in the ketchup bottle, so to speak, because Mm -hmm. people, their offers aren't getting accepted because they have something to sell. So if people are able to do that bridge loan, it's such a great way for them to get looked at. And I wanted to sort of skip back a little bit when you were talking about homes. And Mike, you know what my term is. It's not downsizing, right? Yeah. It's 
I know. Right sizing. I, yep. uh, <laughs> by the way, can you hang with us after the break in a couple of minutes? You okay for time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Any, anyway, so go go on. Yes, right yeah. size. I love so that. That's a real estate term. I love it. Okay. It is. Yeah. Well, that's my term. Everybody's been coining it, but it's it's right sizing. It's not a downer, right? I think a downsizing is being a downer. And when we think of our boomer de- generation and demographic, like it's not a downer. That's just the right size for you right now. And you are 100% right. We're not there, talking about cost. We're talking about the size of the home. <laughs> the size of the home. Yeah, but right. Many cannot do that lateral move, yeah. which goes back to what you guys were talking about. And the not only is it the red tape of what our builders have to go through. I have two subdivisions right now. I have a 92 lot subdivision in West Bridgewater and a 42 lot one coming up soon in Hanson. Terrific. And yeah, and With those, it's very difficult to make that lateral move because just like of all the new shiny things. But I find the problem is the cost associated with doing that, you know, the builders have to go through. But I can see we're going to break our hold. Look at that. She even knows that. (laughs) She's trained. We'll be right back. (laughs) 